News Hounds from Queen City Nerve is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. And welcome to Queen City Nerve's News Hounds podcast. This is episode 12, The Dirty Dozen. And as you can hear in the background, we are mixing drinks as always. I am Ryan Pitkin here with my co-host Justin LaFrancois. What are we making up today? Today we've got, uh, I wouldn't say a slight variation, but a crazy variation on an old-fashioned <laughs> that's based with gin. Um, and it's got bitters in it. And the bitters are the only thing that makes it like an old-fashioned. But the build is kind of the same. So we've got the gin, bitters, fernet, and raspberry liqueur. Fernet is uh, an herbaceous uh, botanical liqueur. It's an Italian Amaro that mix well, mixes well with the botanicals in the gin, and then sweeten up and cut the bite with the raspberry, and then bitter it down and make her taste like a liquor drink with the bitters. Nice. Well, rewind. you can press rewind if you didn't take notes there, but um, it is good stuff. And today we have a return guest, as well as our very first under 21 guests, so we're just going to put it on the record for law enforcement that Cade Lee is not drinking. Not but we drinking, do, not drinking. Yes, we do have Cade Lee here with us who is um, running for Mecklenburg County Commissioner in District 2. Three. District 3, I'm sorry. Um, we just, just talked about We literally that. just <laughs> corrected that. Uh, so District 3, running for the Mecklenburg Board of County Commissioners, uh, first-time candidate, and we're going to talk a little bit of election today with him and our return guest, Ray McKinnon, who is an at-large county commissioner candidate. And welcome back, Ray. I'm so happy to be back. Absolutely. And you guys both have forums to get to tonight, so we really appreciate you coming in and dropping by, spending some time with us to chat about just what you're learning through this process. Um, Ray, you are a second-time candidate? Second-time candidate. Second-time candidate. Kate is a first-time candidate, and I just want to talk a little bit about what inspired you guys to get into it and the lessons you're learning Um so, Cade, we'll start with you as a first-time candidate. You sort of have become, um, you've been an activist here in recent years, especially around gun violence in Charlotte, uh, UNC Charlotte student. Uh, have you graduated yet? No, I graduate May 9th, okay, officially. So, so current UNC Charlotte student um, and have really been picking up just as far as you were the uh, director of the March for Our Lives, the UNC Charlotte chapter. Right. Tell me a little bit about that and how that led to where you're, what you're doing now. Yeah, so I started uh, the chapter of March for Our Lives at the beginning of 2019, mm -hmm. and um, obviously shortly after we had the UNC Charlotte shooting on April 30th, and mm -hmm. from there it kind of propelled me into Mecklenburg politics, the good, the bad, the ugly, and um, I started to see, you know, have press conferences calling out the mayor, calling out county commission, city council for what they weren't doing for local gun violence prevention, because there's not much that we can do locally, and so we started to call them out, and we also started to dig and look at what um, the intersections were and seeing how, you know, the, um, the repeat offenders and, and what was going on with that and affordable housing and reproductive rights and climate and everything else, and so from there kind of saw that there was a lot of inaction and ineffectiveness in the local government. And so that's kind of how I got propelled into Mecklenburg County politics. Right. And that, um, it, correct me if I'm wrong about mm -hmm. your district, because I'm more familiar with city council districts. It's just something right. that I've 
naturally over my career have covered more. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that district that covers University City, at least in city council, also includes neighborhoods like Hidden Valley. So I just saw mm-hmm. there was a big, there's a gap in, in understanding between people who are going to, you know, the shooting at UNC Charlotte brought up so much media coverage. Right. And within that same week, two people died in that area of that mm-hmm. Sugar Creek corridor and didn't get the same sort of amount of coverage. So, right. um, just not even I don't I'm not even talking boundary lines of of the district in right. general, but I just thought that was interesting as a city council perspective. But how is it important as politicians or activists or advocates mm-hmm. or just community organizers in general to under to be able to bridge that gap for people who are worried about mass shootings when they go into a into a school where they think they're going to be safe mm-hmm. or neighborhood violence where. People like we've done episodes with Robert Dawkins and things where we're talking about the, the systemic things that need to be done in, in, in order to right. fight back against those. And what ways have you seen those connections need to be made or be made? Right. Well, I mean, work? and that's one of the things is, you know, the UNC Charlotte shooting got so much attention because it was on a college campus. Mm-hmm. It was two white kids that got killed. But you're right. I mean, there have been people. It's This is a normal thing for a lot of neighborhoods, specifically, like you said, Hidden Valley. Um, Belmont is also in my district and, and Villa Heights. And so with all these communities that have been really ignored by the, the people in power, both county, city, everywhere, um, it's it's hard for them to really connect with groups like March for Our Lives, like Moms Demand Action, just because they are, they're working on it, but they are very um, centered around white people being killed, whether it's mm-hmm. in schools or movie theaters or whatever else you may have. And so we have noticed that it's... Um, because of those divides, you have to look at things more and really understand that, you know, March for Our Lives came about and they had a problem at first with being very, you know, most of the people involved in the organization were white. They didn't really understand that this is a problem that, gun violence is a problem that's faced black and brown communities forever. Mm -hmm. And it's because local officials and politicians really haven't touched it and they don't want to, they leave those communities and they toss them aside and then they complain when there is crime or when there is, you know, lack of mental health care access when they're the ones that are really helping to feed into that systemic issue. And so we did, you know, with those divides, it's important that we're trying to, you know, you got to reach across and make sure that you stand in other people's shoes and understand how it's been affecting them for years rather than just school shootings in recent years. Right. Mm-hmm. And Ray, you've worked. Um, it started affecting white people, right? Right. <laughs> and then, then people started paying attention. So, Ray, you've worked for a long time as a, as a pastor in community in different communities in Charlotte, but currently in. in tell me how long it's been, but you've been at South Tryon Community UMC for four years. Yeah, four years. Um, and so, just tell me a little bit. That that serves the Brook Hill community um, and other surrounding Southside. areas um, in Southside. Southside. Um, Tell me just about how your work there informs your views going into a campaign and, ru- and running for a political position. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, when I first, when I ran in 2018, mm-hmm. the work that we're doing at South Tryon was the reason why I ran. It was right after, I don't know if you remember back then, there was that really cold spell we had, and it, our church was really small, and mm-hmm. we had over 20, close to 30 people um, sleeping in our little church in our basement. We went to the county commission to say, hey, we have to do something. Didn't feel like there was response back then. And, and now they've done uh, far more than they were doing back then. So uh, I think that was effective. But, you know, the work that at, I do at South Tryon, the work that we do at South Tryon informs why I'm even running. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my, my slogan is for the many, not the few. 
Uh, and the idea behind that is that, you know, if, if we don't have a community that reflects not just the people who have access to elected officials or the people whose voices are normally centered, we don't have a community worth living in. You know, so when I look, you know, looked out the window at, in my office at church, I, I see Brook Hill, right? And mm-hmm. you've got, you know, right now it's just cleared off land. But, you know, where those, where the, that cleared land is, is where people used to live, right? right. It's where people um, raised their families. It's where, you know, kids went to school. Uh, some of the kids went to college or whatever. And it's like, this is this is why I'm running to make sure that voices like these are centered. It's right. it's kind of the thing that, I mean, literally looking out my window every day, I can see the potential we have as um, as as public leaders, mm-hmm. um, and and frankly also the challenges and failures that we've had. Right. Um, over and the just years. real quickly, um, for context, we've t- we've spoken about it at length a little bit in this podcast in the past, but. Tell, explain to our listeners who aren't aware of what hap- what's happening because it's in mid it's in mid swing of what's happening at Brook Hill and you're a big part of that as well. So um, tell us a little bit about where that's going. Yeah, so Brook, the Brook Hill community is um, a community that was built in the uh, mid '50s, mm-hmm. um, and it's you know fast forward to 2020, it's one of the few truly affordable. Um, places where folks can live, especially close to light rail and all that stuff. But, um, you know, uh, it, you know the re- people, some people there pay rent for $450. Right. Um, and so, but what's happened over the years, there's, you know, it's complicated. Uh, the folks who own the rights to put uh, improvements on the land don't own the land. And so we've had some complicated situations. And so our church, and in particular, um, South Carolina Community Development Corporation that was formed out of our church has has worked pretty much since I started there to figure out what's a viable, workable solution uh, to preserve to to preserve units for people at thirty percent of the area median income, mm-hmm. um, but also find a workable solution financing all that. So we've been working. Um, with, I mean, for about, you know, this is like the third or fourth iteration of trying to find a deal. We, um, at the end of the year, last year, we, 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 we got to an end. We got closed right. on a deal. So right now we're in the stages where we're figuring out how um, we're going to get the financing, uh, the gap for uh, mm-hmm. about $15 million to ensure that folks who are there um, are not just pushed out. And that's been... You know, South Carolina Community Development Corporation's mm-hmm. main purpose, and that's you know the role that we've played is um, is is helping center those um, those folks who currently live here, uh, live in Brook Hill, and making sure that you know any helping the residents jump over any hurdles uh, that they have when it comes to helping folks to understand you know building credit, understand um, you know even small things like. Hey, things have changed a little bit. You have to, you know, you have to go and fill an application. There's application fees, and mm-hmm. and so for us, we see our role as being, um, in addition to the advocate for our neighbors there, we see our roles as helping folks prepare, be, be prepared for any eventuality. All right. I have a question. So Brook Hill is being developed, right? That's that's 
planned. It's the the plan is it for is for it to be developed. It hasn't started yet. With affordable housing units, like like you're saying, to make sure the people that That's live right. in that neighborhood can. So I'm I'm curious, like uh, when that development starts, then. Uh, I assume like maybe Torque or somebody would work with them for temporary housing while they wait for those applications? No, the way, um, that's a really good question. Uh, that's something else that we were really, really tuned in to making sure it didn't happen. So the way I talked about that, um, it's about five acres that are cleared now. Uh, the, built, the development will happen in, in a way, in, in stages, so folks will not be off-site displaced. Okay. So... Um, what will happen is we will build in stages. So, you know, if once this section is built, um, the idea is to have folks be able to move back in, to move into the new spots, but us not to off-site displace anybody. And then right. after they move into the new spot, then you can exactly raise that right. and then raise that. That's right. <laughs> All right, cool. So um, I did want to touch on that a little bit, but I wanted let's get back to the election because we, you guys are both involved in two of the only primary races as far as the county commission goes. Um, there'll be plenty more competitive campaigns um, when we go to, towards November with Democrats and Republicans. But as far as primary goes, we have at large, there's about how many people running? Eight, I want to say? Eight, yeah. There are eight and folks. how many spots? Eight people for three spots. Three spots. And then um, Cade. two incumbents and one not running. Right. Mm -hmm. And then Cade, there's two... There's two Democrats running for your two your Democrats, position? yeah, and then there's going to be three? a Republican for the November. Mm -hmm. Right, gotcha. So you are running against George Dunlap, who's the chair. Um, that's a it's a pretty big swing you're taking right out right out of the gates as a first time candidate. Mm -hmm. Tell me just a little bit about what you've learned, what what the struggles are, what it's been like for you as a as a young candidate coming in your first time doing this thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, as a especially as a 20 year old running for office in mm -hmm. Mecklenburg. It's something that I know that there was a candidate that I believe was 20 years old, Joel Oldham, for mayor last year. Right. And so um, it's – but besides that, it's really not been done in this area before. Mecklenburg, we like to put on the show and the face that we're progressive, and we're really not. We have a lot of people in office, both on city side and on the county side, that like to, to talk the talk, but they won't walk the walk, and they won't actually put forth these progressive policies and these ordinances and resolutions. And so um, – that was, you know, like you said, I am challenging the chairman of the county commission. And as a 20-year-old coming, you know, right into politics and doing that, it is a bold move. With the way that 2020 looks, that's kind of why I did that. It's, you know, I think that I, you know, I, I know that I have a very good chance of this just because of, you know, the turnout that we're seeing in, in, in 2020 and how important people know that the that voting is this year. But... Ultimately, I mean, as a young candidate, it has been, I, I am surprised to say that my age hasn't come up as much as I thought that it would. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that that would uh, really be something that stopped people from considering me or stopped people from voting for me. But I know my stuff. You know, I know that, you know, whether it's through gun violence prevention or working at the clinic for reproductive rights or, you know, working with the climate action groups, I know about the issues that I'm talking about and about the issues that the county faces and the things that the people need to need to. Um, need to have as policies to, to be able to take care of them. But uh, so so my age hasn't really come up too much. It's more so been the incumbency advantage that I've seen right. that's, that's really come up. And people have said, you know, it's more so that people will support a lot of the incumbents because they're friends with them or because they've known them for a long time or just the fact that they've been there and not really worry about the fact that they haven't been doing the job okay. or they've actively been harming the community. And so that's really come up more so than my age and just focusing on, 
the fact that in that I've had to kind of persuade people more out of voting for George Dunlap rather than just to persuade them to vote for me because people are very slow to, to change right. here in Mecklenburg. Have been trying to target the older vote? No. So, I mean, I'm not ignoring the older voters, but um, the uh, I'm not going to target the people that have voted George Dunlap in every single time. And sure. it's also important, like, you know, we're seeing this around the country in 2020. We saw it a little bit in 2018. It's, it's time for younger people to start taking, you know, and not even just, I'm not saying that it has to be 20-year-olds, but really, mm-hmm. I mean, I think the youngest person on the county commission is in his late 40s. Mm-hmm. And so we've, and the oldest person is 84. So we've got to make sure that we actually have younger people because people that are in their, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s are not necessarily representing the values of people who are in their 20s and 30s. We've got to see change. We've got to see people who are younger and have more progressive values that are actually willing to do something and not just be in that seat of power just because no one will run against them and right. vote them out. Do you like that drink, Ray? Do you like that? I really like that drink. Very <laughs> I would have another one if I didn't have to drive and go to oh, the right. forum, but um, I don't need those troubles. <laughs> <laughs> no, that'll, that'll put a stop, a damper on your candidacy. Real quick. Um, so Ray, you've, you've been through this 2016 that you 18. ran 18. Um, God, that felt like so long I know, ago because I was still a loafing, but that was just right before it all happened. We wow. don't speak that name around here. Well, it's all right now at this point. They, they lost. We were just at a conference at, uh, in Miami and someone asked me about it. It was, um, Glenn Birkins at QC Metro. Like, what are they doing now? And I said, both me and Jen said, Go pull up their website, and he did, and he just sat there, and the faces he made were so funny. And we asked him at the end, he goes, I don't know what to do with this. I don't even know what this is. Next podcast, I'm going to bring on the the sheet that they printed out for me at the AAN about oh, yeah. uh, their what? their little editorial about why creative loafing should be voted out, because yeah. that's, that's a funny one. It's like one of the first ones it. to get voted out at AAN. Oh, Ever. wow. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. yeah. All right. Before we digress too far down that road. <laughs> so, Ray, you did this in 2018. Um had an unsuccessful campaign as your first time um, running. I did. I did forget to mention earlier that you were co-founder of the New South Progressives. So that was sort of your intro into politics. Politics, right? Well, not your intro. Okay, so <laughs> no, it's definitely. Was so tell me about your your intro into politics and how you got here. And then once you ran in 2018, some of the things that you learned that were that stick with awesome. you and are important to you now. My intro into politics was when I was 11 years old, knocking right. on doors for, mm-hmm. in Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, for Harvey Gantt. Right. Um, and then I was an intern in Guilford County uh, in the local party when I was in college back in the uh, early 2000s. Um, but here locally, I was um, president of Young Democrats in Mecklenburg County, third vice chair of the party. I'm a DNC member representing North Carolina, uh, state executive council. I'm not uh, new to politics. Right, right. Um, and I that guess was, that's when I... I worded that wrongly because that's when I became aware of you and I met you through New South. New South, yeah, little Sebastian. Um, but shout out <laughs> Sebastian. But um, for me, it, the the, the I, th- I think anything the biggest thing I learned in my run in 2018 was ironically when I I had lunch with Harvey Gantt mm-hmm. um, in 2018 seeking his endorsement, which he did give to me. Mm-hmm. You know, people always say don't meet your your idol or whatever, because they'll disappoint you. He was one of the ones who did not disappoint. And he was just so real. But he said, I'll endorse you under one condition. And I was like, here we go. Here we mm-hmm. go. But he said, I'll endorse you if you're not successful the first time you run again, uh, because we need voices like yours. Mm-hmm. And I think if I learned anything, it's, one, you can't take this personally. 
um, ironically, uh, George Dunlap uh, said to me one time, because, you know, we were on opposite ends of this, but he says, listen, there are no, uh, uh, what do you say, no permanent friends, no permanent enemies, only per- common interests or something like that. And it was important. It's like, I don't, I can't take this personally. I'm not um, out here to build a brand. I'm out here to try to serve and do as much good as I can. Damn, say, um, that, for, say that again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what it's about, right? Like, uh, and I think that's what we get wrong in politics is everybody, you know, they get their personal feelings involved and, you, you know, you start thinking people don't like you, but it's like this isn't about being liked, right? right. Like it's not about, you know, all of us have enough friends. We're not in here to, 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 to earn new friends. We're in here to try to get um, into office to do good. And if we're not... Um, we should lose, right? If we're if we're if we're not doing this to try to do as much good as we can for as many people as we can for as long as we can, mm-hmm. we're doing it wrong. And if any United Methodists out there might have recognized that, because that's you know that's what it's about. It's about doing mm-hmm. as much good um, for as many people. Um, right. So I learned to not take things personally. I learned to persevere. And if you don't win, you cannot give up. Mm-hmm. You cannot stop serving. You got to remember why you got into this to begin with, because people are reluctant to go with somebody who, from their perspective, is untested and right. un, untried. And mm-hmm. you know, and so, you know, you just you take some time off, uh, and then you get back and doing uh, to doing the work that you were doing. And right. and 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 I think your. Um, your record will speak for itself. And I don't know what this election is going to hold for me. I very well mm-hmm. could come in fourth place again. Right. Um, hopefully I don't come in fifth. Uh, <laughs> you could very well, I could very well come in fourth place again. But the thing I know is that whether I win or not, I will continue to do what I was doing. And, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to become a perennial candidate though. If I, mm-hmm. you know, I'll take the hint this time. If right. I lose this time, I'm not, you know, I'm well, not going to. You don't want to be the Tigress McDan- the next Tigress McDaniels? <laughs> so, uh, I am not saying that. And listen, Tigress, that was not me. That was Ryan Pickens. I ain't say nothing like that. Who, uh, who, who all is running for the at-large? Uh, I'll tell you this. Uh, first of all, I, this right ain't my here. first rodeo. You, y'all can say it. You're not supposed <laughs> yeah. to be talking about the other folks running. But uh, I'll, I'll tell you, the incumbents who are running are um, Ella Scarborough, Pat Cotham, um, and then um, you have uh, Tara Long, who's running, who's a local activist as well. Uh, you have... Um, uh, Tigress McDaniel, who you mentioned. Oh, wow. Um, Pastor, yeah, um, <laughs> Pastor Brenda Stevenson. Um, and then you have uh, Lee Altman, who's a public interest attorney um, here in Charlotte. And then I'm running. Well, and, I know. and there are no Republicans running. Lloyd Shear. Oh, yeah. Lord yeah. Shear. Sorry. Sorry, Lloyd. Well, Lloyd Shear, who's a former. <laughs> you know what? Um, That's wild that you say his name because I was walking onto the light rail the other day and I said, who the, who the hell is Lloyd Shear? <laughs> <laughs> so I know, I know you. Um, and I know the two incumbents, right? And as much as I don't like that tweet that Pat Cawthon made about hippies at Woodstock and smoking weed, I love everything else that she does. So, <laughs> so just as far as um, as far as your campaign so far and the challenges that you've uh, you've seen as far as the incumbency, <laughs> um, um, and in I think you put it well by saying you know you're it's been the toughest thing that you have to explain people why not to vote for George Dunlap as opposed to you just want to talk about why to vote for you. But what has the community feedback been like as far as when you get out and talk to them? Is the response, are people willing to to chat and hear you out, do you feel like? 
Some people. Right. Um, so it really depends on which which demographic of people I'm talking to. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I mentioned older voters mm-hmm. a little bit ago. And um, older voters are less likely to hear what I'm saying. One, because they don't like younger candidates. Mm-hmm. And also because, you know, a lot of the older voters do subscribe to the large groups that endorse. Mm-hmm. And the larger groups that endorse are not necessarily... Most of them are not endorsing me. Mm-hmm. You know, I've gotten equality in C, but besides that, most of the large groups are going for the incumbents because they want to go safe. They don't want to challenge from within the party. They don't like that. And so at large, at least for, you know, Ray's race, you're not really running against anyone. You're all just running for that pool of three seats. For me, I'm challenging an incumbent, you know, and it's, it's and I fully realized that, and I did it, you know, partially because it's important for people to be held accountable in that position. So for younger voters, for really people... I would say 45 and under. Those are the people who are really willing to sit down and talk to me and uh, and see what my platform is and and what um, the incumbent has done that's wrong to the community. And so it's it's definitely more about who you're talking to because the people who subscribe to um, nothing more than who the Charlotte Observer, who the Black Political Caucus endorses, and they won't look past that and actually look at people's platforms. They'll just mm-hmm. look at what these groups tell them to do. It's... Um, that, that's where we get problematic, and that's usually with older voters, I've found. Younger voters tend to have a little bit more thought behind their their choices. All right. So, Ray, what um, we're going to have to let you go soon because you have the, a forum to be at, but just to sort of wrap up, what are the biggest um, – what is the biggest lesson that you've learned from – I know you, te- you said the biggest sort of qualities and, and, and lessons that you learned during your run, but in what ways – tangibly are you implementing things that you learned from last time as far as whether it be maybe reaching voters who aren't familiar who aren't who are only voting for the safe bet or the incumbent whether it be something along those lines or or just something that you learned from last time that you're really working on yeah I i think one of the big things is you know is that political outreach uh, mm-hmm. they talk about, so making like with connections and relationship building, which I think I, I thought I had, mm-hmm. um, but it's just reintroducing yourself to people. Um, you know, one thing I I, ha- I couldn't do was to assume that people knew me or knew what I've done mm-hmm. or to you know knew my story. Um, That's uh, something that we've been. It's important for us as nerve. Are you familiar with our paper? Yep, we said that so many thousands of times. But yeah, go ahead. I mean, people, you, you know, you can't assume that people are familiar with you mm-hmm. or what, what, you know, who you are, uh, your life story. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've had to remind people. You know, one thing that's interesting that I learned is that some people had assumptions about me, about my life story, that I'm like, where did that come from? You right. know. Um, you know, I'm, you know, I remind people. Listen, I was, you know, I'm, I grew up in East Greensboro, which is very similar to West Charlotte. Um, mm-hmm. I live off of Bayesford Road. I think some people assumed I lived in South Charlotte or something. You know what I mean? Like, right. it's, you know, reminding people that this is my life. This isn't, you know, I didn't read about this stuff in a book. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, you know, I am the product of a good education, which is why I fight for. I'm the product of these things, and so that's why I do what I do. That's what. That's what has informed my passions, you know, mm-hmm. the my life's work, my calling to put it in, um, you know, a faith parlay. It's my life calling is to do this, and it isn't, um, you know, I'm not doing this for accolades or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, it's the importance of telling your story and not allowing other people to tell Right. Other people, your story. Not letting and other people tell you when you got into politics. I- exactly. Yeah, I had to check you real quick. For that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, nah, bro. 
Um, all right, man. Well, we really appreciate you coming in, Ray. We're going to let you go. We're going to take a little break and come back and talk a little bit of local news here with Cade Lee, Justin LaFrancois, and I'm Ryan Pitkin, and we'll be right back with the uh, second half of the podcast. How long do runners need to stretch before hitting the road? This is a 60-second training tip powered by OrthoCarolina. Stretching muscles while the body is at rest can lengthen muscles and help runners improve performance, reduce injuries, and recover from a tough run faster. But how long should a good stretch last? The simple answer is 30 seconds. This allows your cold muscles to relax and be ready for work. Taking the time to stretch properly is critical, especially if you're coming back from an injury. Something to note though, stretching a muscle group for longer than 30 seconds can actually decrease your speed and hurt your performance. In addition to a good pre-run stretch, spend some time after your run and stretch the same muscle groups for 30 seconds as well. This has been your 60-second training tip powered by OrthoCarolina, official team physicians of the Carolina Panthers and proud sponsor of the Queen City Podcast Network. For more training tips or to make an appointment, visit orthocarolina.com. And welcome back to episode 12 of Queen City Nerves News Hounds podcast. We are one man down, but we still have a, a strong lineup here going. We got Justin LaFrancois, my co-host and publisher of Queen City Nerve. And we have Cade Lee, student, community organizer, activist, and candidate for District 3, uh, Mecklenburg Board of County Commissioners. Um, I do think I'm strong. You see how hard I can punch. Absolutely. <laughs> Strong lineup. Okay, I look back for a second. Um, so we're going to go on a few local news topics as we as we do about this time. And um, the first one is with Judge Aretha Blake, who is running to keep her seat as a judge here in Mecklenburg County. And she, I, I think she took a misstep this week. She filed a restraining order against Nick Oshner and WBTV to try to stop a story that was actually being recorded, or actually being aired tonight, uh, this evening, maybe even as we speak, if oh, it's the 5 is, o'clock news. I'm this is sure. very recently. Yes. Oh. Um, but on Tuesday, she filed a restraining order against the news station to try to stop a story. Um, something similar... The, the judge filed it? Yes. For herself or uh -huh. for someone? For herself. Against or Nick Oshner. What's the story? The story is about her time, her two years that she served as a judge in family court. Um, and apparently he ran a story earlier this year, uh, or I don't know if it was 2020 or if it was late 2019, but it was last week. Oh, it was. Okay. Mm -hmm. He did a story where he had said that there's 50 plus cases that she ruled over in family court and n they have not been decided yet. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. And so now he wants to run a new story that says deeper reporting has shown that there's 35 cases, which is a decrease. From his original story, but she still is like, no, that's not going to happen. She says that this is demonstrably false and that the courthouse officials have told him so before publication, and he still decided to run it. Um, but I think the real conversation comes down here to, I don't think the story would have made a huge impact <laughs> until she did this. I mm -hmm. think it's one of those, the, the cover-up's worse than the crime type of thing. It wouldn't have because I know nothing about the first story. Right. No, yeah, I didn't hear about that either. Like, it, 
But, I mean, that's why you just don't attack journalists, right? Like, right. Like, <laughs> you can't file a restraining order against a reporter and have them not say, well, there's your, there's your new story right there. Right, there's <laughs> the story because it's the first that I heard about it. Yeah. And I'm someone who is scouring the news on a regular basis to see you know what's going on in the city, if it needs another look or whatever. And, I mean... Shout out to Nick Oshner because he's constantly in the center of these sort of things where mm-hmm. they call him the bulldog on Twitter. Yeah, put Atrium on <laughs> yeah, the ground a atrium, couple weeks ago. Um, with the whole security guard. Yeah. So I guess, Cade, what I'm trying to tell you is just don't ever do this. Don't file a restraining order against us not to put this podcast out. No, 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 definitely <laughs> not. No, I mean, and the, the funny part about this is, you know, so working the polls, you get to know all the candidates running for office. And mm-hmm. so I know both Aretha and her opponent mm-hmm. in this election. And it's um, you're right. I mean, like, it, it's it's no, a lot of people did not know about the original story. Mm-hmm. And now they're going to go back and look at that original story just to see what actually what the whole ordeal was about. Um, but I know that the judge, when they ruled yesterday, said that, you know, Nick Oshner had to provide proof that it was accurate right. reporting uh, before they allowed him to release the story. And he proved that it was true. Right. And so they're letting him go through with it. And I mean, that's good. But okay. it's, yeah, it, I didn't see that. Oh, part. they are letting him put the story up. Mm-hmm. Oh, we'll yeah. See the, well, I, I guess I should have said that last night they ruled that. Yeah, that. Did he have to appeal it or something? There was absolutely no precedent for this sort of thing happening, a restraining order that stops a story before it actually airs. Mm -hmm. Just because it's about you. Right. Right. But so what, did he have to appeal that? He basically just went and argued his case with his lawyer, and the judge said, yeah, you can absolutely air this story. Different judge. (laughs) Yeah, not a reason. (laughs) Um, But I I just always think that... Aretha's best move here would have been talk to Nick and and tell your side of the story and and try to give your proof if instead of telling in a restraining order that people are going to report on saying that it's inaccurate and defamatory like tell them why that is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, other side of the story. I want to. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna turn left right here, and I'm gonna talk about Ruben Jones from Spectrum News who had that video of those kids on that bicycle in Uptown kicking the shit out of that car. Oh right. And then he was posting saying, oh, check out the full story where we talk about the driver. We, we talked to the driver and witnesses tonight at 5 on Spectrum News. But I got a video response from one of the teens involved saying that the guy in the car was waving a gun at them before that ever happened. Mm-hmm. So I went and responded to him with that video with the kid's permission and was like, you can't have the full side. Of, you can't have the full story if you don't have both sides. So I don't remember right. exactly what we were talking. Oh yeah, she should have told her side to yeah. him, mm-hmm. and you know maybe he should have reached out and asked her first. Well, she All did right. have the opportunity to. So on the, yeah. at the Tuesday morning breakfast forum that I had with my opponent, it was also the judge candidates, and I didn't realize what had happened until the first story aired about this. But it was Nick Oshner ran in and was trying to talk to Aretha Blake before the forum. And, um, and she turned him down and said that he could listen to the forum or he could leave. Oh, and okay. Well, yeah. And good for him. Right. Fuck right. her. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and absolutely. And I think anytime, it just comes down to the basics 101 of anytime a journalist asks you to, to talk about a story, they're going to report it regardless. And if you give a no comment, right. that looks mm-hmm. that doesn't look good on you. I was having really a conversation ever. with somebody last week. Last week, you ask somebody, "Can you confirm or deny this?" and they don't answer you. They confirmed it, right? <laughs> like, or at least in the public opinion. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, sure, Absolutely. it's not true, but 
Come on. Right. Right. We've all been children. We know how to lie. Right. <laughs> Don't say anything. Well, the next story is sort of one that I, I saw sort of blow up at early this week, and I was out of town and, and sort of trying to follow along, and, and I, I had a hard time. This is what I want to discuss now, because I had a hard time seeing why it was such a story. Um, today, doing a little more research before this podcast, I saw that Tammy Fitzgerald was the reason it was a story, which sort of made me just not even want to bring it up in the first place. But it does seem like a lot of people who you might think of on both sides of this issue were uh, upset about the way this played out. So basically, long story short, uh, actually, no, short story short, Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools added three questions to a mandatory Title X, Title IX school climate survey uh, that's given every year. And these new three questions ask students about their sexual orientation and gender identity. These were for students fifth grade and up. Um, grades six to 12 were asked to name their sexual orientation. Grades five and up were asked if they identify as male, female, um, non-binary, or gender, gender fluid. Um, and a lot of people just sort of went up in arms over it, and, and it became a big story, sort of a flashpoint story. And you know how that goes in this, today's news cycle. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm just curious as to why this became so big. <laughs> well, because, I mean, think about how... Think about how sensitive everything is today. We're, we're all aware of how other people feel or that they might be trying to figure themselves out, and that tends to start at a young age. And now these questions are essentially making children decide all of these right. in a day and time when we're just now realizing that you have to open the doors and let people figure that shit out after right. a while. So, And I could see... <clears throat> that. Yeah. In, <laughs> that's that's why I see it being such a big deal is because right. you're, you're forcing that choice. See, it, it makes this to, choice right yeah, now. It used Tell to just us. be left and right, mm-hmm. and now there's a hundred different options. Mm-hmm. But so then instead of them just letting them figure out those options, they're saying, "Well, now it's it's left, right, up, and down." But you still right. gotta pick one right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. Yeah, and I can see um, there was another. There's another question that's been on. I think for previous years where students are asked if they're mistreated due to race, ethnicity, culture, religion, disability, but they have, were not asked this year in terms of those same things as gender identity, sexual orientation, if they were being bullied or mistreated because of those, whether it be from teachers or, or students. Um, and I think it almost would have made more sense if, if they just asked that and left that anonymous as opposed to, we don't need to know your sexual orientation or gender identity necessarily, but if you are being mistreated due to one of those issues, maybe let us know. I think that would have made a lot more right. sense. Um, or, uh, what do you think, Cade? Well, I mean, I think, no, I don't think that they, I think you're right that they should have asked the question in a different mm. way of are you being you know, bullied, mistreated, uh, neglected because of these things. But it also goes into, right now we have a really horrible anonymous reporting system in CMS. Mm-hmm. It's a free system as far as I understand. They don't have to pay for it, but uh, I think last in 2018 or 2019, the General Assembly said that the all uh, all school systems across the state have to have an anonymous reporting system. So that if you you know someone's being bullied, someone there's suicidal ideation, anything like that, they can report it and report it for their friends anonymously. So Sandy Hook Promise has something like that that's free as well, and it does a lot a lot better job where it does include things like that, like gender identity and um, and expression and 
all of these different topics and it allows, it kind of gives a guide map on how to do this because most of CMS students, as far as I understand, don't have any idea that they have an anonymous reporting system in the first place. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they already feel that they have nowhere to go because they don't know about these softwares and they don't know, you know, there's, they're already limited on resources at the school. So they have no mental health professionals that they can go to. And now the school's trying to come in and ask them, like you said, to make a decision right now on, you know, where you fall in these categories. One thing I guarantee if you don't answer those questions, whoever gave you that paper is going to well, you about well, it. Right. No, that's the thing. They say that you, you're you allowed to opt out of any questions, but there's absolutely no documentation that tells you that beforehand. So this is a retroactive, yeah, this retroactive thing where they're like, oh, they could have opted out. And it's like, you're saving your ass on TV. Right. But another thing that doesn't make sense to me is Ernest Winston, the new um, superintendent, as well as all the school board members were seemingly just completely caught off guard by this story and just saying that... Um, Okay, like what? Like yeah, so this was on there. So, so like, who read, came up with it? Yeah, read the survey. Obviously, there. Well, not obviously, but I'm gonna I'm gonna assume that there's a contractor that makes these Title IX mm-hmm. things or government um, employee. But I don't know which level of government that would be at that makes these. But read the survey. Just I feel like if you're on the school board. Read the survey before anybody else. Yes, does. exactly. Just or, even a quick glance before you send it read out. Read anything. I mean, the school yeah. board barely knows what policies they enact themselves. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that we're getting better with the people that we have on school board now. But I mean, ultimately, it's we, we have a lot of work for CMS with with almost a seven hundred million dollar budget. Like they still and the school board members are not doing their jobs at the utmost capacity. And so you're right. Like they don't. They're not reading the surveys. We had the security issues. We have mm-hmm. the, you know, they're asking these questions. We have, um, I think there was another anonymous uh, software that they ended up opting out of and another school security thing that they've opted out of now. And so it's just they, I think they're trying to get their feet under them now, mm-hmm. but it's they're not doing it What was enough. that? What happened with the Thank website? God they spent $500,000 on that website. <laughs> yeah, what was that? <laughs> They just, I don't. They, I didn't follow that story very they, closely. They paid for it and made a new website that, when uh, students and parents got on there, they didn't know how to navigate it oh, anymore. Right. So they didn't like it, so they took it down. Should have got Mary Pickin. And went back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just keep it simple. Yeah. Keep it simple. Nothing has to look good if you can access everything you need. And they, they. That was the thing. Is I don't think they ever stated like what they were trying to improve on. I think they just wanted to make it look nicer. Right. All right, well, whatever. third story, we have a scam artist alert, and this is a scam that I've not... Wait, haven't we only talked about one thing? No. We talked about Aretha Aretha Blake. Franklin, yeah, gotcha. Aretha Blake <laughs> and the CMS story. Oh, uh, yeah. So this one's up in Greensboro, and it is Dr. Charles Golden. Dr. Golden. That could have been a red flag. Um, <laughs> he is the owner of Pinnacle Health Group, which Was. is... Uh, right now he owns it and the oh. website is live. <laughs> oh, okay. I was looking at it today. Uh, which, so Pinnacle Health Group offered erectile dysfunction treatment through acoustic wave therapy. Um, and he was arrested earlier this week, I think Tuesday or Wednesday, um, or maybe even today. Um, he was arrested this week for <laughs> practicing without a license. Uh, there's no record of him having a license in North Carolina ever. And I couldn't find any record of him having a license anywhere. Uh, but I could be wrong in that. I'm not not sure exactly the, the, the right databases to check nationwide. But um, I don't know. I, I found interest but in this you know, because I never... There should be. Yeah, there absolutely there should, should be. be. Just a quick database. Um, and there there might be somewhere, for all I know. But I had just never heard of acoustic wave therapy, and I'm, I'm intrigued by it. 
And from my Googling, it seems pretty legit. <laughs> but what I'm <laughs> That's what gonna I'm be on my tombstone. Is, from my Googling, it seemed legit. Because <laughs> if you're 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 scamming, you're yeah. scamming. So you start a medical practice. Right. Which which has gotta be the scam of all scams. <laughs> like the website the one, made them seem pretty it it's it the, looked legit. It's the one thing that you need absolute legitimate licensing to do. Right. And you're just gonna dive in and make a fake one. That's insane. <laughs> well, but then to choose erectile dysfunction and then what, is it acoustic what audio wave acoustic wave therapy. So so to, to explain, those are in, acoustic wave therapy loses uses low intensity, high frequency pulse waves to promote development of new blood vessels, uh, with a probe applied directly to the penis, not into it. I know probe can be a little iffy, but um, that would have just, caused a whole another right. list of issues. Exactly. With this yes. <laughs> Um, this is just directly applied to the outside and is painless and non-invasive. And I think that's why they're just sort of able to get away with it for that long because it doesn't seem that difficult to, to do. Oh, yeah. Okay. So then I was thinking two things. Maybe he was just that real smart guy that, you know, loved medicine and science right. but just couldn't go to med school or something. So he's like, I'm just going to start my own. Yeah. Or... <laughs> He did all of his research on the acoustic wave therapy and realized how simple it was and that people would just pay him right. hand over fist to So to give him the benefit of the doubt, hard. has he ever had a medical license? I don't believe so. I don't That's what I, was, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I couldn't find a database to let me know nationally, but he's never had one in North Carolina. Um, his website said, we only hire people with exceptional expertise, trained and qualified staff. Um <laughs> Yeah, Tra- training qualified in that's what? who he hires. Yeah, you hire training qualified people. You don't have to be training one, qualified. One red flag was in the website. There's two doctors in this practice, and they both look, they both doctoral. look like very doctoral because they have white <laughs> coats on in their pictures, and they're in offices. But my thing is, you can't. There's no history. There's no bio. There's no. There's not even a. He went to this college. There's just the pictures of these guys, and you can't click on them or anything. So that's. I'm just trying to do this as a public service to warn people. Don't let anyone put anything on you or your genitals until you read their bio. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, it's so ballsy. I just I, I can't imagine you find a space in a building. I'm assuming it's a strip mall looking thing. I can't I can't imagine that pun intended he erected oh, his own building. Ballsy was pun intended. Erected his own building. <laughs> yeah. We're getting somewhere here. I can't imagine that he erected his own building right. to start this practice. That's that's obvious. Well he might have rented space. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> I know, I'm just like it, it's probably in a, it's in a strip or something. Yeah, but to to have the gall to just to do that, like you're gonna call yourself a so, doctor. That's like that dude that was fake being that an was FBI just about agent. To say this. <laughs> Who do you think it's a com- competition from our episode number one <laughs> when we talked about the guy who was caught at a car wreck scene directing traffic with his FBI vest on, and they were just like, "Who are you?" And he was nobody. Um, who is more ballsy in this? Because I think that guy is. Yeah, absolutely. He's actively on the streets to, with a car a, with a sirens. A federal investigator. Yeah. And the cops rolled up. You know the cops are coming. It's a crash. You absolutely. And he shook their head and said, <laughs> he introduced himself. I'm Chris with the FBI. Because with the, the doctor thing, you hide behind the wall. Cops right. aren't coming in there. Although I'm sure cops have erectile dysfunction all the time. But they're not, they're not uh, doctor cops. Right. They don't know. <laughs> they're not policing doctors. So I don't care. But yeah, it's got to be Chris with the FBI thing because he knows the police are coming. Right. He knows they're coming. And he's, he's just, this is my moment, Sean. I'm going to shake this yeah. guy's hand and show him a badge. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to see where it goes. He wins. This guy's nuts. Yeah. But 
but that guy's wild. Um, all right. Well, I think we're uh, just getting ready to wrap. I have one thing that I just have to air out because it uh, has upset me greatly. Does this have to do with me? N- no, but you already <laughs> said you don't care, so it's going to be my rant this time. Uh, that I've read news today that they are making a movie based on one of my favorite shows of all time, The Andy Griffith Show. And as most anybody in this state knows who grew up around here, uh, that is based in Mayberry, which is based on Mount Airy, which is Andy Griffith's hometown. And it carries a lot of pride up there in Mount Airy as far as that goes. And they have said that they were going to be filming a few scenes of this feature film in Mount Airy, but they're mostly going to be filming it in Danville, Indiana, which is home of the Mayberry of the Midwest Festival. And I just think that's absolute bullshit. And I, my producer agrees with me. That's Are, like, what's, what's that other city that goes by the Queen City? Cincinnati, Cleveland? Cincinnati, Cincinnati yeah. Cincinnati, fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... Kate, are you an Andy Griffith guy? I'm you not. Watched? No, oh, no. I've watched uh, it. No, because the, the both of us still 20. walk without a cane. You guys are both in your <laughs> 20s. Um, but I will say, um, the, the guys who are making the movie are the sons of an actor who is in Andy Griffith, who played the husband of Charlene Darling. And I just love you, Charlene Darling. I don't know if she's that still the, alive. She's probably not. The funny-face-looking dude. Charlene Darling? No, no, the guy married to her. Oh, not Barney Fife, no. Okay, yeah. But yeah. I also love Thelma Lou, who is his <laughs> who is his lady. So I turn this off. All right. Well, <laughs> we're gonna get out of here. We really appreciate you coming on, Cade. Um, election day. Early voting's been going on. Um, I don't think it's it's gonna be this weekend, is it? They usually wrap Last it day's on week. Saturday. Last day is on Saturday. This Saturday, the day after tomorrow. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I have to go vote. Because election day is Tuesday, no, March third. Um, and that's usually when I vote. Oh, oh, okay, yeah, okay. Election day is Tuesday, March 3rd. So make sure you get out there. Um, use the knowledge you've learned today, but look around as well. I I formally endorse Cade and Ray through whatever podcast powers I have (laughs) as a measly little publisher of a newspaper. All right. Well, there you go. And, uh, we will see you in two weeks. Make sure you pick up the paper. Drink something. Cheers. Cheers.